you're always trying to tell your clients long-term, invest for the future, do what's right for the portfolio and don't worry about sort of what's happening today. I took all of that knowledge that I knew and information. I said, that is just not for me. Let's get rid of that. Why would we ever want to follow <laughs> our own instruction? Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Women Building Wealth Membership Group, the complete proven step-by-step -step course to guide women from novice to confident investor. To learn more, go to womenbuildingwealth.net. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, John Swolfs. John, are you ready to rock? Absolutely. Let's do this. All right. Well, let me tell the audience about you. John is CEO at Inside ETFs. Previously, he worked at BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, on the iShares team as a business development associate. In his previous role, he worked closely with both the Registered Investment Advisors, RIAs, and Independent Advisor Community to help promote the use of ETFs and index investing. Prior to joining iShares, he worked as a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch. He is a graduate of SUNY Albany, where he majored in history. And a little bit of trivia, he worked for two years for the New York Mets. John, take a minute and fill in further tidbits about your life. Yeah, I think one thing that I'm probably most excited about recently is in September launched an exciting new event with the guys from Ritholtz Wealth Management in New York City, focused on advisor technology and, and helping advisors streamline their business, be more efficient, be able to build better portfolios, that sort of stuff. So really excited about that. But I'm a recent transplant to, to London as well. So moved from San Francisco to London in 2017 and have been enjoying all that the UK has to offer here for a little over two years now. And so let me ask a question. What's your favorite thing to do on your day off? Like, let's say a Sunday, what's kind of the favorite place or thing that you've, you've really enjoyed in London? So I have an eight-year-old son and him and I have adopted the Tottenham Hotspurs as our Premier League team, which has been both kind of a blessing and a curse. We certainly didn't jump on the bandwagon, but they were sort of an up-and-coming team. But they tend to be able to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And last night they got themselves beat at home seven to two against Byron Munich. So while we certainly enjoy on our Saturday, finding time to watch the game where we're often left feeling a little underwhelmed, but in general, what I love about London more than, than probably that is my neighborhood is so walkable. We have a great high street. I can go to the butcher, the baker, the wine shop, whatever it is. I don't need a car. Just, you know, leave my house with my shopping bags and I get everything just about in a three minute walk from my house. So that is just fantastic to me that everything like that is so accessible and it's high end quality stuff, which is great as well. So your carbon footprint is about the size of your foot then, I guess, because you're not driving. Yes, we do. Uh, we try to be as conscious as we can when it comes to that stuff. But it's really interesting how they teach that in school. My son was giving me grief that I take the bus to work and then a train and can I, I work more and stuff like that. So it's really interesting to see that it's getting ingrained in a younger generation. Like I said, he's only eight and he's already given me grief about needing to walk more. So Hopefully that lesson is learned and, and they have the same impact that my generation had with recycling. Exactly. Well, that's great. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, if you'd asked me to tell this story 
seven years ago when I began to get into this investment, I would have probably been a lot more excited about it. Really thought I kind of had it, had it nailed. So let's go back. I think it's October 2012, right? So we, we we're not quite out of the, the financial crisis yet, but there's a lot of talk. You know, QE, I think, is getting kicked off around that time. There's a lot of concerns about inflation. There's still a lot of concerns about the markets and maybe the real recession it was still being just delayed by doing all of this QA. So in a lot of the research that, that I was doing for my role here at Inside ETFs, I was talking with advisors. I was reading a lot of stuff in the Wall Street Journal and, and sort of any financial publications that I could get my hand on. And, and everybody kept saying that, you know, this is the worst thing that we can do for the system is to, to pump money into the system that we actually need to take our medicine and we need to kind of learn from the past. So when you think about recession and you think about hedging against that, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Safety, right? I need to rush to a safety asset. In all my wisdom, I said, you know what that is? That's gold. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to back the truck up here and we're going to load up on gold. You know, when this QE doesn't work and kind of everything goes kaput, I'll be sitting nice and pretty with a large allocation to gold. What I have to say is that I started to believe my own hype in my head. Like, okay, you, you know, you read this, you read this. You're really starting to get a, a clear picture on this. You get what's going on here. Let's try to be a little tactical. I had never been tactical before when it comes to investing in my life, right? I, as you had said in my bio, I'd spent some time as an advisor with Merrill Lynch, right? You're always trying to tell your clients long-term, invest for the future, do what's right for the portfolio and don't worry about sort of what's happening today. I took all of that knowledge that I knew and information. I said, that is just not for me. Let's get rid of that. Why would we ever want to follow our <laughs> own instructions? So I ditched my thinking on that. I said, let's get tactical. And to be honest with you, Andrew, I want to say that I maybe top ticked gold, maybe the day before or day after that, that it hit its high and, and I got in. I think that was somewhere in the neighborhood because I bought an ETF to do that. I didn't actually go out and buy physical gold. Having worked at BlackRock and iShares, I'm sure you can imagine the product that I bought. So I went ahead and I said, you know what? Let's back the truck up on that. Let's get as much of this gold in the portfolio as we have from a cash standpoint. So I took all my cash and put that to work there. Sold out of some equity positions to some extent that I just thought, okay, well, let me trim back my US equity exposure. That's been great for a 10-year bull market that I pulled that back. So, <laughs> you know, you might even say that it's been compounded to some extent. So I did. I sort of trimmed back some equity, took, you know, what I had there plus my cash. And I allocated, let's say, roughly somewhere in the neighborhood of about 15K to gold at the height of the market. We still haven't gotten back to there yet. So I'm still wearing the pain of that investment. But what I really think for me, what I got wrong was starting to believe what was in my own head and that I, I could time the markets. So I would say that's sort of what got me into gold and kind of led me into what has been my single worst investment today is, is my decision to buy gold at the height of the gold market. Mm. And so tell us what you learned from this. So there's a lot of things to learn. Yeah. I think first and foremost is if you are building a strategic plan for your asset allocation, stick with it. If you want to have a section that you want to be tactical with, make it a 5% allocation, a 3% allocation, stuff that you're going to be able to, to sleep at night with. I mean, I know there was quite a few nights where I started to, you know, kind of wake up in the middle of the night, worried, look at my position, check it out way more often than I should have. And I just, it just started to not feel right. I think the other mistake that I made on that was I stuck with the investment far too long. In fact, I'm still in it 
to this day. And I think that's sort of, I don't know if you want to call it the value trap or personal bias or the emotional attachment to the investment. So I sit there and I think about all the opportunity cost of that roughly 15K that I could have had running through a 10-year bull market. I think I'm roughly down, you know, last I checked, about 2K, 2 to 3K on that investment. I think if I had had that money running in the, the equity market, I'd be up a little bit more than I'm down my, my 2 to 3K right now. So the opportunity cost is a, is a tough lesson to learn. The lesson of not sticking with your, your asset allocation. And then trying to be tactical and time the market. Why I thought I was smarter than anyone, why I was a better investor than, than anyone, and why I was going to be smarter than the market is beyond me when I sit back and I think about that. I had spent literally five years telling people from an iShare standpoint that you can't do that, that that's foolish, that you need to build an allocation that allows you to be diversified and kind of ride the markets out. So yeah, opportunity cost is real when it comes to investing. Stick with your asset allocation are probably the two biggest things and don't think you're smarter than the market. Perfect. Okay. That's very helpful. And maybe I'll uh, review some of the things that I take away from it. I mean, the first thing is fear can be a very dangerous thing. And I know sometimes, you know, all the talk about the debasing of the currency and that everything's going to fall in with all the printing of money. And really it is actually not difficult to get caught up in that. And then when you start building a, a scary scenario, of what could be happening, and then you start getting confirmation bias where you're getting, you know, you're finding research out there and people talking about it, you just build upon this fear and it, you can get caught up in it. And I think that that's, you know, one of the things that this reminds me of. And that's why when I look at the six common mistakes that people make, I would say that I would partially classify this into number three, which is driven by emotion or flawed thinking. That, as you say, you kind of didn't stick with the plan. You, you ended up you know, really getting convinced to tilt that portfolio pretty massively. The other thing that I take away from it is the idea that ultimately for long-term performance, equity should be your core asset or asset class. And everything else that surrounds equity is there for reasons that are not related to trying to get a super high return. They may be there to get a, a small amount or a consistent return. They may be there for the purposes of diversifying that portfolio. But generally, I like to say that when I talk to people about it, it's like build up your equity position over 20, 30, 40 years that you'll be investing and use the other asset classes, whether that's commodities, gold, you know, fixed income, use those as tools to manage, number one, you know, as you get older, obviously you want to manage the cash flow out of it, but the other part of that is to manage the movement of the overall portfolio. So any thoughts on those? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. When it comes to the equity position, I did the complete opposite of that, right? I reduced my equity position and missed basically a 10-year bull market. So to some extent, you know, still recovering from those losses and back at zero. But no one wants to waste seven years of investing. We all know what compounding interest can do for your, asset, for your assets and the growth that you can see there. I think you're absolutely right with the emotion and the self-fulfilling prophecy. That's exactly what that was. I was getting confirmation from other folks that, oh yeah, I'm getting nervous about this. You read an article here, read an article there. Oh, they're going to start in Europe as well. This whole thing is going down. So it was easy to get sucked up into that sort of vortex of talk and fear. And I wouldn't even say that my investment was made out of fear. 
I think it was almost made out of arrogance that I had kind of discovered this and I was going to be ahead of it because I thought that there was going to be pain later on down the road. So yeah, that mm-hmm. I think I fall right in that bucket of, of emotion and sort of flawed thinking driving you to, to your investment. That's, that's not easy to, or that's not hard to see at this point, but a tough lesson to learn. Yeah. And I'm reminded uh, in episode 59, I talked to Danielle DiMartino Booth, who wrote the book Fed Up and her worst investment, you know, the title of that one is don't fight liquidity, flow with it. And she said that my biggest lesson that I ever learned is that I will never again deny the simplicity and the utility of liquidity. In other words, when the central banks are pumping liquidity into the market, going against that just is extremely dangerous. Yeah, no one likes to swim upriver, right? You know, everybody likes to take the nice float on the lazy river that's, that's going, you know, downstream and life is good when that's going on. And yeah, I think everybody tries to get a little bit smart or understand that, you know, in theory, this shouldn't work, but in real life, it is working. It is driving stock prices higher and, you know, go with the flow, right? Don't yeah. fight the trend. The trend is your friend type of talk there. So yep, I could yep. definitely agree with that one that, yeah, yeah. liquidity is getting pumped in, let, ride the train. Yep. So, all right. Well, based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Yeah. One, I guess would say not listen to myself, but we're all not going to do that. The other real clear answer there is get help, right? Today, it's so much easier than it was even seven years ago when I made this investment, right? If I had just gone to a robo-advisor and built in my asset allocation and had gone to make that change in my portfolio, they would have sent off all sort of alarm bells and, and said, what are you doing? And is this the right thing that you want to do? And I probably would have had to rethink that and just sort of validate my decision to someone else. My wife doesn't know much about investing. Any kind of buddies that I talked to or things like that said, yeah, you know, this QE thing is crazy. So I don't think that you're wrong in your thinking around gold. What I think really does help is if you have the smart professional helping you there, or even again, like I said, the robo, they're going to keep you on track. If I brought up to my advisor that I want to, you know, liquidate a large chunk of equity and go into gold, he probably would have said, I'm either going to fire you as a client, John, or, or no, this is what we need to do. So I think that's the thing that you can do is get help. It's out there. It's accessible take advantage of it. That's an easy takeaway for me. And I can picture you, you know, that's the message that you and I talked about before the call, when you mentioned about, you know, meeting some friends from the office after work and talking about it. And you basically said, put your money in a robo advisor and keep contributing in and kind of forget about it and let them help you. So good advice. I probably should have told them, I probably should have told them my gold story to actually drive home the point, as I mentioned, one of the colleagues that I met with likes to play the accumulator for the Premier League on the football game. So if you get all six right, you have a great payday. And I said, hey, why don't you just take that and put that into a robo-advisor each week and basically was told, trying to get rich quick. And you're like, okay, that's not going to happen. So yeah, there's still people out there making the same mistakes and those sort of things. So maybe when this is over, I'll go grab them and say, hey, guys, I just shared my story of my, my biggest loss. Maybe this will help drive home the idea of why you need to get help and get help earlier. They're considerably younger than me, so they have a nice runway ahead of them. All right. So we'll address this one to them. Listen up because there's value in this. So I'm sure that they'll listen to it and get that value. All right. The last question, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Yeah, absolutely. So mine's a little bit different maybe from an investment standpoint is I'm actually trying to get my accounts consolidated, right? So I think if you think about people in the US, we typically have had 
two or three jobs where we've left 401ks behind. You probably have your own RIA or a Roth that you've started. And I kind of have them sort of sprinkled all over the place. So for me, I want to get all those asset allocations brought in under one household, one roof. I want to get them up in, and in front of a professional. Again, having been an advisor and then worked in the ETF industry for five years, I've kind of said, oh, I sort of know what I should be doing. Reality is I don't. So for me, it is, it's bringing sort of all of my stray accounts together under one spot and either going to a robo-advisor or perhaps finding someone here in London that's able to help sort of get me sorted back out and on the right path. Like I said, I still own the, the gold investment and probably could have made up my losses if I had taken them and, and reallocated back to some equities and things like that. So hopefully I can get myself consolidated and have a nice clear path going forward. That's my goal for the next 12 months. Great. Well, I like it. I mean, you're really hitting on the theme of get help. And it's so valuable because even professionals and people who have a lot of experience, all of us need a sounding board. All of us need new ideas, you know, such as ideas related to new changes in the tax code, you know, all of those different things. So getting help is something that can benefit all of us. Yeah, I think it could also help a lot with what you said in number three, right? Flawed thinking and emotion. Your advisor isn't going to have those same feelings. They're going to be there. They have your best interest at heart and are going to tell you this isn't right for your allocation and help sort of remove the behavioral mistakes that we all make. I think anyone who's sort of dabbled their toe in investing has read some book on risk. And we all know that in the end, investors buy high and sell low and they always capitulate at the wrong time. So if you have that help, that helps remove that sort of emotion that you have in place there. And I've seen firsthand what advisors have done for other folks and helped them out. And they really are truly beneficial. If you embrace with them and you're open and you're honest with them, they really can help make a huge difference in your financial outlook and picture. Beautiful. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end I want to thank you, John, for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And I want to congratulate you for taking your worst investment and turn it into your best teaching moment for the folks out there. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Well, first, I want to thank you, Andrew, for having me today. And I'm glad someone outside of myself can take this as a lesson. That's fantastic. But my parting words would be, you can't control the market, so control what you can. And that's typically cost, taxes, and risk. And if you do that, you'll be ahead of the game. So control what you can and let the markets do their thing. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside. <laughs>